Welcome to God Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Robert Raymond Riopel. Robert is author of Success Left a Clue. He also is a guy who goes around the world uh, doing seminars for so many people. It's a great podcast. We talk a lot about personal development. I think you're going to love it. Guys, please check me out on Instagram, at NoorKidY. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records, so check them out too. But we're going to get into this week's episode, guys. My guest this week, Robert Raymond Riopel. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. I'm here with Robert Raymond Riopel. Robert, thanks for joining me, man. Oh, my pleasure, Nora. I am so happy to be here and ready to have a fun conversation because I know you like to have fun. And I believe there's way too many serious people on this planet. And I am one of my rules in life. If you don't enjoy doing what you're doing, do something else. So I'm ready. Hell yeah. And uh, yeah, no, man, I'm uh, definitely uh, love to have fun. So this is going to be a good time. Um, let me just uh, let you introduce you to my audience. So you're author of Success Left a Clue. That's your book that you uh, wrote. And uh, you actually have like such a great uh, story. You speak around the world and everything. Um, and like, I don't know, I want to hear more about your story. I'll let you kind of like introduce yourself to my audience, please. Yeah, you know, I'm um, here in Canada is where I live, born and raised. And growing up, I was raised in a family, very kind of in the box thinking. Don't question things. This is the way it's done. You just do it. Uh, and especially kind of the, one of the big rules taught to my family was even if you don't enjoy the work you're doing, if it supports your family and it's secure, you do it. Mm -hmm. And that was frustrating, but that was kind of the way I was raised. And so when I started working, I started working hard. I started staying loyal because that was the other thing I was taught. Stay loyal. Stay loyal to a company. And by the time I was 21, I'd worked for three different companies. And my mind's going, something's not kind of connecting here. And here where I live in Alberta, we have oil. And the interesting thing is if oil prices are up, our economy booms. But if oil prices are down, our economy sucks, <laughs> plain and simple. And in 1989, and if you're doing the calculating, stop calculating my age here. But in 1989, <laughs> I'm 21 years of age. I've been laid off from my third company and I'm looking for a job and we're in the middle of an oil bust. There's no work. I'm trying to find that real job. So to support my family, because I'm a newlywed and I want to take care of my wife, I start to deliver pizzas for Domino's Pizza as a way of doing something until I find that real job. Because of my work ethic, I end up becoming a manager. My wife becomes my assistant manager. And what do we do? We start working hard, open to close, seven days a week. And we do this for just over a year. When I'm now qualified to be a franchisee, and Nora, I don't know if you know much about Domino's Pizza, but you can't just buy a franchise. You actually have to successfully manage a store for at least a year. Okay. Have a lot of criteria to meet, and if you do, they actually waive the upfront franchise fee, but you still have to buy or build a store. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden we find out, my franchisee announces, I'm selling because 
I want out of Domino's Pizza. And my mind goes to, oh crap, we need to start calling other franchisees and find a new job because we know the first thing a new owner does, they replace the managers and bring in their own management team. And so my mind went into that fear base of, I'm about to get laid off again, but now both of us, we've got to find a new job. And my wife was looking at me and she's like, well, why would we do that? Why don't we just buy the store? And I'm like, because we have no money. That's why we'll do that. And one of the beautiful things about my life is I have the most amazing support network of a wife. Met when we were 13, started dating when we were 16, got married when we were 19, and just celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary. Again, right. stop calculating my age. Stop it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, look at her. We don't have money. And she goes, but we can figure out a way to do it. See, I was such an in-the-box thinker, it didn't even enter my realm. But we do have passion, and because of her drive of, let's look outside the box, let's figure out a way to do it, we started investigating. How can you buy a business if you have no money? And we made a lot of mistakes. Over the next four months, we made a ton of mistakes, but we learned something every time. Until we had the confidence, we knew what to say, what not to say, and we finally were talking to our bank. We had stayed away from going to our own personal bank. One, we couldn't get a meeting with them because back then you had to know someone to be able to um, get an interview or get a time with the, the business manager. And we're talking to our branch manager who'd helped us buy our first home. She loved my wife and I because of how hard we were working. We were 23 years of age. We were hardworking people and we're in her office. And she said, so how's it going with the store? And we're like, it's not going well. We just haven't been able to find any financing. And she goes, well, have you talked to Grant, the business manager? And we're like, nope, we haven't been able to get a meeting with him. She says, pardon me? I said, yeah, we've tried, but we just haven't been able to get a meeting. She says, come with me. And Nora, one of the things I want your listeners to know, especially in business, maintain a great relationship with your bank. Don't be the problem customer. Don't come in and if something's wrong, start yelling at people. You know, people are doing the best they can. You keep a great relationship because you never know how it's going to pay off when you need it. Mm -hmm. The moment she said, come with me, she stood up. She literally took us by the hands, walked us across the branch, knocked on his door and said, hey, Grant, this is Robert and Roxanne Riopel. They're great, hardworking kids. They manage Domino's Pizza and they want to buy the store they're in. Take care of them. And from that introduction, and because we knew now what to say and what not to say when he's asking all the questions, we ended up not buying the store. We ended up buying both the stores my franchisee had for sale, and the bank gave us 100% financing to do it. Damn. <laughs> and, and by the time we're franchisees for eight years, we're over $150,000 in debt and Damn. going down quickly. And that's when we were actually introduced to personal development. We walked into a three-day weekend that we had been given tickets to go to a preview for and just out of the blue. And we went to this three-day weekend. We walked in and we learned why we were in debt. We learned to take responsibility that we were the ones that were creating it. Quit playing the victim. It wasn't anybody else's fault. It was ours. Mm -hmm. And then we learned specific things that we could do to get out of debt. And when we left that weekend, we did something that very few people do. Because here's the unfortunate statistic for North America. It's a little higher in other parts of the world. But in North America, unfortunately, only 3% of people will ever use knowledge that they've been given. Only 3%. And what, what do you mean? Like, like they'll take action on it. The rest will just go, oh, that was a nice weekend. Or that was great. 
and put it up on the shelf. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And not utilize it. But my wife and I, we set out an action plan. We're like, we want to change our life. We, you know, we're tired of this stress. Because I don't know if you've ever experienced financial stress, but it's got to be one of the worst stresses out there. Mm-hmm. And we started putting the practice what we had learned on that weekend. We changed our program. We changed how we thought around money, everything like that. We started learning about passive income. And all of a sudden, we were able to go from being over 150 thousand dollars in debt to actually being retired completely financially free nine months later at the age of 32 nine months later nine months later damn yeah and our minds went wow if this much information gave us that result what would more learning do and at that point we jumped in and became students learning from as many masters over the next two and a half years learning from every master we could because i'm a big believer don't just learn one way don't just have you know, you can take nuggets of gold or as I call clues now from different people. And while we're learning and so ingrained in it, I found my passion. I realized I wanted to be a trainer because I realized if I could even help just one person, one person do what my wife and I have been able to accomplish, go from deep debt to being financially free, it'd be all worthwhile. And that started my path. And as of today, over the last 18 plus years, I've been blessed to travel around the world several times and personally train over half a million people in extensive high energy three to five day trainings. And uh, so that's kind of where I'm at and who I am. No, that's amazing. And I, you know what I love about your like story, how it like kind of starts off like how you were talking about those fear-based thinking that uh, even like I'm from Alberta as well. So I know how you were saying like, uh, like with the oil patch and everything and like how sometimes you're like, Oh, you got to be loyal to the company and like all of that yeah, shit. Like, right. Yeah. Like they're not loyal to you when they have a hard time, they'll toss you on your ass. No like, matter how big the company is, you're just another number. To yeah. Them. So like, yeah. I, and I get like the whole idea of like, it's good to work hard and like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything like about that, but uh, one thing is I've stuck with like jobs that are bad for me that are hurting my body that aren't giving me a future oh my goodness. for that exact yeah. same thinking like oh uh, like I told them I'm going to do it and I have to like be loyal to these people when they show me sh- no loyalty at all and they exactly. dropped me if they needed to drop me and like though that kind of thinking never ever like really gave a rise to any kind of success or any kind of passion in my life yeah one of the first jobs I had the second job I got laid off from I was actually working in a fiberglass company, laying down chop and, and rolling out and doing quality control. And I don't know, you know, working with fiberglass, I never knew that when you're there, the fibers are constantly getting in my skin. And while I'm working the job, it was like clockwork, 3 a.m. every morning. I'm waking up scratching because of the fiberglass fibers that are in my cells in, that have gone in the pores. But yet I hated the job. I hated it. But I stuck with it because of the fact that they gave me a job, they're paying, it's helping, you know, support my family. Uh, you know, I'm not married yet, but I, I've got a fiance where we've got rent to pay, we've got all these expenses. And I wake up in the morning hating going to work, mm-hmm. but I did it because this is what you do, plain and simple, right? Mm-hmm. Now, okay, what part of Alberta are you in, man? Uh, like I grew up in Southern Alberta, so Calgary and High River was where I grew oh, up. Nice. But is I that where to, you are now? Uh, like no, well, right now I'm technically I am in Calgary, just uh, back home for the summer. But I'm living in Toronto now. But uh, 
also went to school at Edmonton. So like, I know all of Alberta. I've, uh, uh, that's where I started my comedy career. So I've been to every little small town uh, doing shows and every little I've bar. I've been so. everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. Yeah, we actually um, lived in Calgary until about three years ago. I'm back in central Alberta. We have a beautiful acreage. And, but I'll tell you, this weekend, coming up for the Calgary Stampede, Looking forward to it. Nice, Love nice. the stampede. <laughs> That'll be fun. Uh, all right. So, like, I like this. Success left a clue. So, you you talk about, uh, yeah, you talk about these clues. These are kind of, like, principles almost of, like, what you think gives success. So, this is how you kind of teach it. Am I right on that? Yeah, because, you know, I've been blessed to not only travel around the world but I've and, and train, but I've shared the stage with some of the greatest thought leaders in the world. And as I've watched i've watched what makes what's the difference between people who are successful what do they have in common versus people who aren't and i started picking up all these clues of success so as an example one of them step number two in my book i lay out six steps step number two is find a mentor or someone to model and so someone who's accomplished what you want to do because unless you're like a jeff bezos or um, you know, unless you're a brilliant mind like that, chances are no matter what you want to accomplish, someone's done it before you. Yeah. So find out how they did it, model what they did. And so what most people do though, unfortunately, Nora, is they see a system, they see it laid out. Okay. This person did this and they, and they got success. They didn't do this because anytime they did it, it sabotaged them and they see the system and it's clear, but their mind feels they have to reinvent the wheel. Okay. Now there's, there's a whole, we could go down a whole rabbit hole of why that is and how school has kind of conditioned us to not follow systems in a way. And so we look at these systems and our mind goes, I've got to reinvent it. I've got to do it my way. And if you notice the moment you try to reinvent a wheel, something that's already working, it's harder and you struggle and you get frustrated. And most people quit. Mm. So one of my clues is I say, if you're going to reinvent the wheel, do it later. Do it later. True, true. Get the success first. Follow the system. Get the success. Once you're successful, now you have the success. If you still want to reinvent the wheel, go ahead and do it because at least you have the success. But we want to reinvent it right away, and then we struggle and we wonder why we're miserable. So that's yeah. kind of an example of a, a clue I would give and you. And that's a great example because, honestly, uh, just even in comedy, right when you said that, like, and I tell this to comedians a lot, too, who are coming up, like, when a lot of younger comedians are coming up, we look at other comics and we try to model it off of them. But like, it's true. If we try to reinvent the wheel too early and we try to like break those rules, which is good in comedy, but you have to learn the skills and the basics. And like, you have to go down that path first. Once no, you actually, no, yeah. No, no, comedy is easy. Ha, ha, Everybody ha, can do it, can't they? Are you telling me it actually takes work? Yeah, there you go. And I've heard that exact thing from like young comics a lot. So like when you actually find a little bit of that uh, um, success and like becoming a little bit of a comic and now you know the rules and the foundation, then you can actually break them. I love how you said that because it's true. And like I I've seen that in comedy. You want to take uh, you want to break the rules eventually, but you have to learn that foundation first. You do. It's a system, system, system. And, and, and it's funny because I'm loving that you and I are having a conversation on this because of your experience of being a comic, because what people may not know, my big passion is I love to train trainers. And I've been blessed to train thousands of trainers around the world on how to use what's called accelerated learning. And it's a system. 
And when I'm mentoring someone, one of the things I actually have them do is study comics, study people like Ron White, study people. Yeah, because it's the mannerisms. Okay. Pauses. Yeah. The buildup, grab the hook, take them in a new direction. And trainers that study comedic performers, that's where they get a lot of their ability to then be on the stage and hold the presence of an audience instead of just doing a lot of this. Yeah, and yeah. so like Kevin Hart, love to model Kevin Hart. And, and just, and you, I'm, I imagine, you know who Ron White is, correct? Of course, love Ron White. Yeah. What a great model of how to really, with that dry sense of humor, ha, 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 set the audience up. Because I, especially because I love to have fun, I will, I'll set what's called a context with my audience, just like a comic does. It's a space that you create to allow you to have the fun inside of it. And it's not necessarily about the data or even the jokes. It's about the space you've created. And because I love to have fun, I will set the context right away that, look, I'm not, my jokes are not funny. But I'm going to tell a lot of jokes, but they're not funny. But tell you what, the more you laugh, the more I appreciate it. And the more you laugh, I will give you more information. So I get the audience ready for that. Get them all primed up. (laughs) Exactly. And even because around the world, people go, man. Robert, you just speak all over the world. How many languages do you speak? And I'm like, English. <laughs> you know, thank goodness I have amazing translators. And it's something I learned from a mentor of mine is my Canadian humor does not translate into other languages very well sometimes. <laughs> and so I would, I would sit there and I would be speaking, maybe tell a joke, and all of a sudden you'd see this look on the audience. Yeah. And I found out later that my translator didn't understand my joke, so they just quit speaking. and not a good feeling so what my mentor said is when you're pre-prepping with your translators simply tell them this statement if you don't understand my joke just tell the audience translate to the audience the speaker just told a joke laugh please (laughs) and the moment they do that i get the bigger laughs and i know what they've said so i then have fun with that and i play with that yeah and it's because you know, it, it is about having fun. And when you learn a system, it allows you to be more connected. And, and I know you can relate to this. When you're out of your head and you're actually connected with your audience, you can see if you need to adjust your, com- um, your com- comedy. Because if it's disconnecting with the audience and you just, what will new people do? They'll just keep going yeah. how they practice. They lose the audience and they just keep going because they don't even realize they've lost the audience. Mm-hmm. But when you're present with your audience, and if you can see that maybe these jokes aren't landing, you can throw in a side zinger to see if it catches and then take your presentation in that direction to re-engage the audience again. And that's, yeah. that's the beauty of having the confidence of knowing that you put in the work, you put in the practice, and that you can really add value to your audience in whatever way it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And I love you. You travel all over the place. Like, uh, I, I'm kind of interested in, like, uh, have, like, has travel given you a lot of these clues, like you said, or, like, success oh. clues? Yeah. I became more tolerant when I started traveling. Okay. Okay. You know, here in Alberta, it can be a little... <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for that. I was <laughs> like, uh, everyone that's listening is going to be Alberta tolerant? What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know we can get a little redneck here in Alberta, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. 
And it was when I became a trainer. I had only ever traveled um, between parts of Canada and the U.S. Oh, maybe I got exotic. I went on a Caribbean cruise. So that was my extent of traveling the world. <laughs> but as a trainer, when I started traveling around the world, uh, my first trip outside of real North America was to Singapore. I had 6,000 students for a three-day intensive weekend, and I'm on stage for up to 12 hours a day. Wow. And so the one of the biggest fears is, you know, do they have the same mind fears and the crap in their head that we do? And is, is the material going to connect with them? And in the first two to three hours, myself and the other trainer I was with, we realized that they're no different than us. They have the same shit going on in their head that holds them back and sabotages their success. And from that point, now that I've traveled all around the world, the one common theme I noticed is we are all the same. We all have the same fears, the same doubts, the same worries. Maybe we have different upbringings. Maybe we have different belief systems, but underneath it all, we are all the same. And the, and the, the problem is when we treat each other different thinking we are different. Yeah. And so the tolerance I learned that, you know, first time I ever went to India as an example, I, when I land in a, a country for the first time, I love to go and just walk and, and observe and, and absorb it or hop onto local um, transport like buses and tuk-tuks and, and stuff like that. Hell yeah, yeah. And I'm, and I remember I'm, I'm walking, I'm going for a walk and I start noticing how it, it, two months earlier, they'd had the major floods in Mumbai. Water was up six feet high. Now in Alberta, that would have shut us down. High river. Hello. When the high river floods, when you live in a town called high river, you're surprised <laughs> that there's a high river and you get flooded. I don't understand that, right? <laughs> but, and look how long it took out the community. So I thought my event was going to get canceled because this big flood had come through only like a month and a half, two months earlier. But no, everything was up and running. And I noticed the first thought in my head was, look how dirty it is. And all of a sudden I caught myself and I went, okay, why are you looking for what's wrong in this situation? Let's change the filters on your glasses. Let's start looking for what's right, what's beautiful. Because I've also learned, Nora, that there's beauty in every place. There's beauty in everything. And the moment I changed those filters on my glasses, I started looking perspective. All of a sudden, I noticed that there were people that were happier with, by our standards in North America, with nothing. They were happier than people here that seem to have everything. And I started noticing the beauty of the happiness that it was true smiles on their face, authentic, happy to see you if you walked up to them and said hello. And it just, it blew me away. And so that was another kind of paradigm shift for me because there is beauty everywhere. And so having that tolerance and having that understanding, I just love now to get to new countries because I want to see the similarities and then learn the differences because yeah. I want to know about their upbringings. I want to know about their culture. I love history. I love to know why things are the way they are. So I don't know if that answers your question, but. No, it, it, it does. And honestly, like, uh, it's kind of funny because I, when I grew up, like my parents are from Pakistan and Kenya. Like I grew up traveling a lot, like around the world. And I've seen a lot of this shit, like when I was like a kid. And then like mm -hmm. when I became a comedian, like at uh, 19, and then I started traveling around Alberta, 
I used to have those prejudgments and like kind of like negative thinking that you were talking about when I went to like a small oil rig town or something and I was going to the audience and I would uh, immediately go like, oh shit, like this audience isn't going to like me. They're like, you know, I might be like, oh, this is a backwards audience. They're going to hate me and shit like that. And like, I'll throw these, all these judgments onto the audience yes. and my shows would always suffer and in my head, it was just like me blaming the audience all the time. But like you said, when you stop, shut up and put that positive spin and be like, you know what? These guys are here to have a fun time. Like they just want to have fun and I'm here to provide yeah. that fun. Why don't I just go and have a good time? And when I changed that whole perspective and looked at it like that, it like the shows became so much stronger. And then I yes. never, and I learned never to prejudge like shit like that again, because like it just doesn't. And your mind, like, I know what you're saying. When you're in that fear-based mind, you, you love to look for those excuses. You love yes. to, like, look at something. Like you said, you were in India yes. and you're like, oh, this place is dirty. Like, this is going to suck. Like, you love to make that because it is an excuse. You went at the end, you can come home and just be like, oh, no, that place just sucks. So who cares kind of thing. But Right. And, and that's it. And what I, what I teach trainers, and it's what you just said that's the same for a comedian, is I tell them the greatest fear that you have up here is what you're going to manifest in your audience. So if you're thinking that they're going to hate me, they think they're going to think I suck, you're going to manifest that. And, and there will be people that love you, but what you're going to see is the people that don't because you've manifested and put your focus on those that don't like you and those that think you suck. So you're going to attract that into your life. I'm, I'm huge on the law of attraction. And so that's why when I go on stage, I go on with a clear mind of, I'm ready to have fun, be of service, and deliver value to my audience. Because, and I'm a world-class, or I was, let me put it like this more. I was a world-class people pleaser. World-class. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Especially if I wanted you to like me, I became like that lost little puppy. Oh, please, please, please. <laughs> I would end up because I'd be so annoying with trying to get people to like me, it'd be like, get away from me, you freak. Yeah. And right. And so I was trying to please everybody. And so the moment I quit trying to please everybody, see, you never know. You never know who's in your audience. Mm -hmm. You just be you. And you're going to attract people into your life that you never realized. I've, I've been able to, and blessed to share the stage with some of the most amazing thought leaders in the world. I've had in my audience, I've had a billionaire in my audience. No one knew he was a billionaire. He just very humble, wanting to learn. And when someone found out he was a billionaire, they're like, why are you here? You're a billionaire. And he's like, because I like to learn. Yep. And the moment I think I know it all, his philosophy was the same as mine. The moment I think I know it all, I'm done. Yeah. So even though I train all over the world, I'm still an avid student. I will get into as many audiences and learn so that I can keep growing because I, I just the moment I realized what personal growth was and growing myself meant I became so hungry for wanting to know myself more and grow so I could be of more value to other people and mm -hmm. so it's been a continuous journey for sure and that's where those clues come from I bet and like that ple people pleaser thing like uh, I'm a, I was the same. And uh, I know so many people in our culture are, I think, I don't know why, like, it, it seems like every, there's so many people who are just like, uh, 
you know, you just like you want to don't want to offend anybody. You don't want to take any kind of opinion. You don't want to like don't uh, even get me you know started on that. <laughs> yeah, it gets to yeah, it gets to a point where it's just like I don't know. It doesn't do what work for you. And like the one thing is like if you want to give somebody a little bit of value um, in an opinion or maybe some something you want to teach them, usually that's going to piss off another person. So like if you that's have right. Yeah. So if you want to be a people pleaser, you're never really going to give people any real value because you're constantly going to be shifting to the person. Like if you want to, like, if you actually have your own principles, they're like clues, like you call them, you're going to have to just stick to them and teach them the way you want to teach them. And that's going to piss off some people or it's going to turn off some people. But if you're going to keep like going and like switching it every time you turn off somebody, you're never going to have any real principles. It's not going to work. Oh, yeah. And like when I started training, picture this. I'm in front of a room of a thousand people. And as a people people pleaser, 999 could be riveted in their seats, loving what they're learning. And all of a sudden someone stands up and walks out of the room. And where would my attention go? It would go to the person walking out and like, they don't like me. Oh, my God. (laughs) Meanwhile, there's 999 people still sitting there going, whoa. And you know, the, the even weirder part is the person walking out of the room had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but look at the twist my mind put on it. Mm-hmm. And so the moment, because here's what I'd love to, for people to understand, is I believe, and it's just my belief, you don't have to believe it, but I believe the greatest gift anybody can give this world is to be themselves. Because when you're you, either people are going to like you or they're not. And if they like you, that's awesome. If they don't like you, awesome. With almost 8 billion people on the planet, look at how much time we and energy we spend trying to change ourselves. Like you said, flip-flop. Oh, this flip-flop. person likes me this way, so I'm going to be this way. This person likes me. And you lose your identity trying and wasting all your energy trying to please all these people. So the people that truly like you for who you are aren't getting your energy. And, it's and the moment, yeah, the moment you let go of that group and say, here's who I am like me or don't. And if you like me for who I am, not who you want me to be, then you're the person I'm going to um, put my energy towards. And then you'll be blown away with who enters your life. So as an example, I'm, I'm doing an event in Singapore and Malaysia. I hosted two events back to back. I was a host and a presenter there. And in our audience or in our lineup, we didn't have one, we didn't have two, we actually had three multi-billionaires that were there. One was Sir Richard Branson. And then the two other um, was a gentleman from China and a gentleman from Japan. And as a host, I get to sit in the green room and have conversations with these people. And, and you know this as a com- comedian as well. When you're in the green room and talking to other comedians and you get to see just how real people they are. Yeah. Right? It's, it's amazing. And I'm having this conversation with this gentleman from China, 37 years old, multi-billionaire, his story amazing. And he doesn't understand English. I don't understand Chinese. So we have a translator um, having a conversation back and forth and we're just having this conversation. And all of a sudden um, his translator says, he would like to know if you'd like to come for dinner with us. Oh, nice. I had to pick myself up off the floor first (laughs) (laughs) because where did my mind go first? Why would he ask me to go for dinner? Mm. Doesn't he know I'm just an everyday person, right? The judgment I put on myself. And so I say, absolutely, I'd love to. You know, I'd take a page from Richard Branson, say yes, and figure it out later. And so I said, absolutely. So 
we meet at this little noodle house. He's in sweats and a t-shirt and he's got about a 15 person entourage. <laughs> and there's me and my friend who's a translator came and we're just having a great conversation. And I'm listening to his journey more and getting to know him more. And then he's asked me about myself and my journey. And I'd mentioned I had developed an app and he was like, please tell me more. And I was explaining it to him and his translator was translating. And then also my friend Frederick, um, all of a sudden he, he, he said something in Chinese and then he spoke a little bit more and, and you saw this shift in the energy. And all of a sudden he sat up straighter and he kind of looked in more. And I said to Frederick, okay, what had happened? He goes, oh, he was translating it wrong differently of what you were meaning, but I know your meaning. And I know he said, so I translated what you really mean. And, and all of a sudden the, the, um, the billionaire, he looks at me, he goes, app is ready to go to China. You contact me. I want to launch it through China through my media company. Oh shit. I'm like, <laughs> damn. <laughs> How do you plan something like that? How do you plan? You don't, you just be you. Mm. And you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at who shows up in your life. It's true. And like, yep. And it's that authentic. Uh, you have to like, you, there has to be something about authenticity that, uh, that drives people and attracts people to you. And like, I, li- I like how you were talking about the people pleaser. And you were saying you lose your identity if you're constantly mm. people pleasing. And that's actually the perfect way to say it. You don't have an identity. And if you don't have an identity, how are people going to find you and relate to you? Yeah. One of the things I'm talking about in my new book that I'm writing right now is I call the four currencies. And one of the currencies of life is fame. And the people that fame destroys are the ones that lose their identity because they get this fame and then they try to be who they think society wants them to be. And they don't know how to balance. They don't know how to keep themselves centered. And so I learned a big lesson on this one when I was uh, watching an interview where someone was interviewing Jennifer Lopez. Okay. And, and they were saying to her, they said, Jennifer, you are just this powerhouse. You're an actress, you're a singer, you're a dancer, you're a businesswoman, but you're also a powerhouse in your relationships. You're centered, you have great family values. You have, how do you keep the two separate? And she said, well, I'm me. And so, but when I'm acting, singing in that role, she says, I'm J-Lo. I'm J-Lo. But when I'm at home, I'm Jennifer Lopez. And I went, got it. See, when I'm on stage and I'm training and I'm in front of audiences and I'm doing that work, I'm Robert Raymond Riopel. That's my brand. But when I'm at home, I'm Robert or Rob. And a running joke that we have in our family, because when I'm overseas and I'm doing trainings, I have assistants that take care of getting me food, take me wherever I need to go. You know, I, I get pampered like crazy. Mm. So I come home after a couple of weeks of being overseas doing trainings and my wife will look at me and say, okay, honey, you're home. No more assistance here. Go take out the garbage. <laughs> and I love it because that keeps me grounded. Nice. See, if I get into my ego and, and every trainer, every, and I guarantee you this happens for um, comedians as well you're going to go through what's called the starstruck stage. All of a sudden you start getting known or people start appreciating. And all of a sudden the ego comes in like, look how great I am. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you're not going to go through it. Everybody does. The question is how quickly can you get through it? How quickly you can get through it and become back to being centered. Because if you stay in the starstruck stage, you're going to destroy your life. You're going to go through a crash. Huge. You're going to, and, and because you'll, 
have your identity now attached. And this is about the currency of fame. When your identity is attached to, and, and, and I'll use my personal experience. In the first four and a half years, I started training Nor. I was training so much. I was living my passion so much that I was only at home on average two days a month. I was traveling the rest of the time around North America and then overseas. And I got burnt out. So I had to take a year off. And that year actually turned into three and a half years off because not only did I get burnt out, I wasn't taking care of myself on stage and I ended up going through two back surgeries. Oh shit! And so during the time off, all of a sudden I lost me because I had attached my identity that I'm not Robert Realpel, I'm a trainer. Mm-hmm. And because of some of the circumstances, when I stepped back, I pissed off some key people that were expecting me to keep training, keep training, keep training that I got blacklisted. And all of a sudden now nobody wanted to talk to me. Okay. And you sure learn, learn who your true friends are in a time like that. And because I was coming out of the starstruck stage, my identity was still attached to being Robert the trainer. So I lost myself for a bit. It was yeah. like, who am I really? And I have to go on some deep soul searching to figure out if I'm not a trainer, if I never speak again, who am I? And it was a it was a tough journey. Yeah, and how how what was the well what did that journey involve? Just um, <laughs> well, a lot of sleeping. <laughs> I, I I was so burnt out, and yeah, and I thought for two years I'd had um, had a sciatic problems. That's why I thought my back pains were because I'm up in a small town. You can probably visit in Alberta. I'm visiting family in Slave Lake, Alberta, oh, and all of a sudden my back goes out again. And usually when I would. <laughs> Usually when my back would go out, I'd be laid out for a week. And all of a sudden we're up there visiting family and I'm laid out for a week has come and a week has gone and I still can't move and get out of bed. And my wife's like, that's it. I'm done. We need to find out what's really wrong. And we realized and found out that um, I had herniated a disc, my L4, L5. And in Alberta, of course, in Canada, we have great health care. But the problem is you have to wait a long time. <laughs> yeah. and so I get the news from the neurosurgeon that's probably going to be six months minimum before I get the surgery. Mm. And now at this time, I'm now laid up for over four weeks, five weeks, six weeks in bed. I can't move. You talk about humbling. When, I'm not gonna get graphic, but let's just say people actually have to take care of every need for you. Yeah. It gets humbling. Oh, 100%. And so a lot of soul searching then is if I can't get a surgery and this is my new life, you know, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna do it? Mm. You know, obviously, I won't train. I won't be able to do this. And so I started to have a lot of deep conversations with myself. <laughs> and more, I'll tell you, it's not bad to talk to yourself. It's when you start arguing with yourself, then you might get a little bit concerned, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so it, it, it was, that was a big part of the interesting journey. And, um, you know, I, I, it's six weeks in, all of a sudden I got a call on a Tuesday morning from the neurosurgeon nurse. And she said, look, we just had a cancellation on Thursday can you make it in? And I just emotionally lost it because all of a sudden it was like, wow, yeah, I'll be there. And it was a day surgery, the microdisectomy that they did. I walked in at 7 a.m. standing really crooked. I couldn't stand straight. I walked out at 1 p.m. standing straight, feeling a thousand percent better. They had removed over 50% of my disc. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some advice. If you have something major like that happen and the doctor tells you what to do to take care of yourself, listen to the damn doctor. I didn't. 
And three weeks later, I re-herniated the same disc and it back up in the hospital for three weeks before they could do the second surgery where they took out another 20 plus percent of my disc. I woke yeah. up from that second surgery and I'm like, I'm never going through that again. I'll listen to whatever you tell me to do. To wow. Ha, 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 all right. Well, damn, man. And uh, I can, uh, I can understand like when you're like bedridden like that, like what kind of thoughts will go through and soul searching will go through your head. So like, yeah, um, that props to you for going through that, man. Um, I am interested in these uh, four currencies of life, though. Like we talked about fame. Can you uh, maybe go into the other three? Yeah, absolutely. The first one is the one that everybody thinks of when you talk about currency, and that's currency of money. And what I've come across in my research is that there's too much money in someone's life is something called affluenza. And affluenza, you know you're there when you start doing crazy things. So as an example, I use the example of a prince in the UAE who spent a billion dollars on his own jet um, three, A380 airplane, another 100 million to remodel it to be his party plane. You know, I can think of a lot better things to do with $1.1 billion than just having a party plane that you use every once in a while. So that's affluenza. Too little money is called poverty. And what I've realized is that people have a zone. They have a zone and it's different for everybody and it will change as your life goes through. So when you're in that zone of income earning, your, your investments doing well, when you're in that zone, you'll have a much less stressful life. Things will flow. And so in my Domino's Pizza days, as an example, if my poverty level would, was right around probably $40,000, if I was making less than $40,000, then I was getting really stressed of how are we going to pay the bills? What's going to happen? The affluenza zone was probably about 100000 if I made over 100000 a year, started doing some silly things with money, <laughs> wasting money, losing on investments, could not making, doing the proper due diligence, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's um, now over the years, today, my poverty zone is around $200,000. If I'm making less than 200000 a year, then I do because I love my lifestyle. Nor I love the lifestyle I have. And so around the 200000 is where I'd get stressed. The affluenza is if I get around a million or more in a year, then now that becomes, you know, I I start doing some crazy things again. Mm -hmm. So it's about identifying and seeing where your zone is and staying in that zone because that's where you'll really enjoy the fruits of currency in your life because money is just a tool. So that's one currency. Second currency, every single one of us has the exact same amount of, which is time. Time, And if you have too much time on your hands, that's boredom. Too much time is boredom. Too mm-hmm. little time is stress. And it's interesting when the coronavirus came in play, I went from flying on average 200,000 miles a year around the world to zero. Yeah. And when I was now at home 24-7, I actually became busier than when I was traveling around the world. And it always blew me away when someone would go, I'm bored. When can we get back to real life? And it's like, Come on over here. I got lots for you to do if you're bored. (laughs) Come to my place, right? And so what I've come to realize in this research is that people are really, really, really good at being busy, but they're not necessarily productive. And so as an example, I want to, I'm writing my new book and I might go, okay, I'm going to go down my office. I'm going to write my book. Eight hours later, I can come up and go, man, was I busy. But what did I really do? Yeah, I didn't seem to write a lot of the book. Oh, but look, yeah, I checked social media a dozen times. I 
went on emails. I was responding to texts. Uh, oh, and I wrote a little bit of the book. I was good at being busy. But when you understand being productive, one thing that will, I'll, and I now live by my calendar, is research has proven that you can only stay focused on something for about an hour at a time before you start getting distracted and squirrel, squirrel, squirrel all over the place, yeah. right? And so I will actually put on the calendar what's called focus time. And so it might be from 10 to 11, it, during that time, I'm writing my book. So now when I go into my office, that's the sole focus. No emails, no social media, doors closed, and I get productive. And in an hour of focus time, I can usually accomplish six to eight hours of being busy. So for the currency of time, it's about learning to be more productive, especially if you're a person going, I have no time, I'm too busy, I have a family, I have, you know, and all this and all these reasons why they're too busy. Well, if you take and create some focused time, you'll notice that you free up other time. And it also comes to one of the things that has held people back from having success in their life. Oh, bless you. Yes. <laughs> Allergies are bad today. <laughs> I, I, I hear you. I hear you. Maybe you're just allergic to me and my jokes because they're bad. That could be. <laughs> so um, when it comes to family and people go, well, successful people, they lose their family lives. Their family life is ruined. And what they don't, what they think it is about, it's about quality or quantity of time with their family. But what I've discovered is family will take quality over quantity every time. So as an example, and, and tell me if you can relate to this, Norm. Have you ever been having a conversation with someone and physically they're there standing in front of you, but you can tell that they're checked out in somewhere else mentally and emotionally? A hundred percent. Yeah. And that's what happens because when someone, especially with family, they may be with their family, but their mind's somewhere else because they're worried about business or worried about this or worried. So they're actually not really there. And that's sure. why family life pays the price. So if you're there and so one of my practices, when I'm with someone and having a conversation, see, you and I are here, we're having a conversation. I'm present with you. I'm aware of everything else going on but I'm with you because this is the time I set aside to be here. And I want to make sure it's quality. And if you have quality time with someone, they'll appreciate that way more than just quantity where you're not truly there with them. Mm -hmm. So that's the currency of time. And again, it's a, it's something that takes practice just to realize what works for you. And then the fourth currency is the one I actually focus a lot of my energy on now. And that's a currency of experience. Okay. And experience, because where are most people? It goes back to time. They're either in the future trying to figure out how am I going to do this? What do I need to be done? How am I going to solve that problem? And they're so caught up in the future or they're tied to the past of, look, this happened to me. And because that happened to me, this is why my life sucks. And, you know, and they get into that mode. So I, for the currency of experience is about being present. Mm -hmm. This is why I practice being present because when it's my time to leave this planet, I want to be able to look back and go, I remember this success, or I remember this time with family. I remember this experience. I did that. Not trying to remember, like going on a vacation. And because you were worried about work, you finish the vacation. You're going, 
what did we really do? I really don't know what we did on that vacation. I sat on a beach and drank a lot, but I don't know why I did that. <laughs> right? And how many people does that happen to? Oh, and so yeah, yeah. everything I do now, I create an experience around it. I love to run masterminds. So I make them experiential masterminds. Because I know when I bring a group of people together, especially if they've just met for the first time, they will do okay. And they'll, and they'll actually do some good mastermind together. But if I can have them have a great experience first, where they get to truly know each other, then the level that they'll participate goes even deeper. Hell yeah. So an example of that is just before Corona last February, my wife and I, we bought this acreage an executive acreage for the, um, with the idea that in a number of years, we'll build our own training center right here on our property. Now what's cool, COVID sped that up. A dream that was gonna be three to five years from now, right outside those blinds is my training center that we broke around in December. And in about a week, I move into my new offices, my new 1500 square foot training center where I've got audio video all set up to be able to bring my students to me instead of me traveling around the world, they'll come here. And so to test a theory of wanting to have people come to our home, we invited 10 close friends, five couples to come and do a mastermind at our home. They all didn't know each other. The only common thread is we knew all of them. So they showed up on our house for a two day mastermind and they were staying at a hotel close to here. And what we did is the first morning, it was just sitting around our kitchen table and we just, who are you? What do you do? Getting to know each other. And we just started getting the note process going. That's all we wanted to do in the morning. And then my wife for Christmas earlier that, um, you know, a couple months earlier at a charity, she'd actually um, bid on a prize, which was there was going to be a Celtic illusion show coming to Red Deer, Alberta, where it's Celtic dance mixed with magic and illusions. And so she bid on this prize where it was a private suite for 12 people, all the food, everything like that for the show. So we got to know each other in the morning and then they didn't know what was about to happen. We said at about two o'clock, we said, okay, everybody head back to your hotels, get dressed up. We told you to bring some nice clothes, get dressed up, be back here by four o'clock. So they all showed back up at our property at four o'clock at four 30, this great big stretch limo pulls into our driveway. We all load up. There's wine and champagne in the limo. It takes us to the show. There's the spread of food and beverages there. Most of us didn't really watch the show because we were deep in conversations with each other because of the experience. And so we celebrated all night long, came home, the limo brought us back. Everybody went back to the hotels. The next morning when we met back here at the house and we started the actual masterminding and we started putting people in the hot seat, the depth that the masterminding went was mind blowing. And we created multi-million dollar businesses right there in that day from that, because now people were invested in each other. So that's the currency of experience. And people, they, I don't believe they put enough value on having real true experiences in their life. So those are the four currencies. Wow, that's beautiful. I love that. And yeah, you're right. The experience, it is like kind of the best one or like the like most in-depth one, like it's kind of funny when you, when we talk about these principles of like success and stuff and like a lot of times on my podcast, I talk a lot of spiritual stuff too, but these uh, principles are so intertwined, like presence and experience is 
pretty much essential in any kind of spiritual kind of tradition or principle. And then uh, it's the same with like just limiting beliefs and like really trying to like understand those in our life. Like that's part of it as well. So like, I always uh, wonder that. And uh, honestly, that's the name of the podcast. So I got to ask you the question, Robert, but yeah, uh, yeah God, yay or nay. Or both. Or both. Uh, that would be interesting. <laughs> I've never heard because, that one. <laughs> well, and, and here's, here's the reality of it, because I was a very closed down person when I was younger. I was a very in the box thinker. I was, and, and I grew up in a family where my dad, very Catholic religious family. Okay. My mom from a very Protestant religious family. They met six weeks later, they got married. Both yeah. families basically diso- disowned them. Wow. They married outside of their religion. And I looked at it and, and it was my, I, I, I own this now years later. It was my crap. I, at one point said, I'm just an atheist. I don't believe. Because mm-hmm. I looked at both families that they were Bible thumpers, trying to push religion down my throat. Yeah. And as kids, we, we would, um, my mom, her rule was, until you're 10, you'll go to Sunday school. After that, it's your choice whether you want to go or not. And so I couldn't even have a conversation with one, my one grandmother because I just felt like she was always trying to push religion, push religion, push religion. Mm-hmm. And like I say, that was my crap. That was my filters. And so I didn't think I believed. I always believed in a higher power, but I just, oh, from those experiences, it just had a raw nerve mm-hmm. with me. But as I Started to, because spirituality, I didn't even believe in that. That's too Mm woo-woo. But when I got into personal development and I started experiencing the power of what's possible, that how powerful the mind is, whether you want to go by universe, you want to go by God, whatever name you go. And then I started traveling around the world and getting to experience all these different cultures and religions. I started to notice the similarities. And my mind started going, why is some of the greatest battles in the world ever been over religion? There's so many commonalities. And so for me, the reason I said God, yay or nay or both is because I absolutely believe in God. I absolutely believe in a higher power. I just don't necessarily believe that any one way of thinking about it is the proper way or the right way or the one way. I'm open to all different things. And that's why the both. Nice. And yeah, and like, I think uh, just uh, from talking with you, it seems like your philosophy is like opening up, like opening up your mind and stop thinking so closed mindedness and stop getting into that fear based thinking and just open up. And when you're open, you see a lot more of the world, right? You see oh, a and lot the magic more of the offer. Yeah, the magic happens. You see yeah. the opportunity. It starts, it starts presenting itself. Yeah, because there's opportunity everywhere opportunity everywhere it's just so many people don't see it because it doesn't happen the way they think it should happen no that's true uh awesome man uh robert this was amazing uh i honestly i really had a great time just uh tell my audience uh where they can get a hold of you or where you want to where you want them to go to grab your book and uh, anything else you want to promote just uh, let them know now yeah, you know, I would love and and for you having me on your podcast, which I feel so blessed. And thank you so much for um, inviting me to be a guest because I when I saw the name and I I first went, oh, do I really talk about this? And then I went, no, why not? And then <laughs> seeing your background as a comedian, I'm like, 
damn, I got to talk to this guy. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'll tell you, I love your laugh. I absolutely love your laugh. It is so, it's one of those laughs that just is, you can't, how can you not be happy? when you hear such an amazing <laughs> laugh, right? Yeah, that's, it, uh, it that's my Alberta laugh right there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, love it. And so what I would love to do for your audience, you know, I wrote my first book, Success Left a Clue. We published it in ten, um, 2000 or 2017. And for if your audience goes to robertriopel.com, just my name, R-O-B-E-R-T-R-I-O-P-E-L.com, they are actually going to be able to download the digital version of it as our gift to them. Now, it, it does come with a caveat, though, Norm. All right. It's, it's not just a book that you read and then put up on the shelf and it becomes shelf help. That's yeah, not yeah. what it is. It's a workbook. I wrote it as a workbook because, again, step number three is take action. So I have action steps all the way through the book. And I'll actually say, stop reading right now, complete this action. And then the next chapter, did you do the last action? If not, stop reading, go back and do the action. Because people are creatures of habit. Remember that? Um, statistic only three percent of people actually use the information they've learned so i want them to use it as that workbook because they go through the six steps that i outline in the book their life will go to a whole new level i guarantee that if they utilize it, they do the action steps so go to robertreopel.com download it and use it as our gift for you having me on your podcast they can follow me on facebook just put my name in you'll find my fan page um, and then you can keep in touch with what i'm doing And then my final message is this, something I said earlier, I believe the greatest gift you can give this world is to be you. So show up and have the courage to be yourself. And the way I sign every autograph and the way that I sign off on every email, always live with passion. Hell yeah. All right, man. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate that. All right. That was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NewerKidY on Instagram. Or check out my website, NewerKidY.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up. And all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often. Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay! Warning!